You know, there are a lot of people that settle in this world, right? I mean, there's a lot of people in this room that have settled for a lot of things that are less than the best thing for your life. And you know this. I mean, there's a whole bunch of us who know what God wants from us, who know what God wants for us, and yet somehow, in some way, we just settle for less. I mean, we don't talk about it openly like that. We don't like purposely say that kind of thing. It's not like people go around and go, hey, you know that, uh, you know that guy you're dating? I mean, he is just... <laughs> He's just a loser. I mean, he's going nowhere in life. I mean, I mean, come on, the guy still lives with his mama and he's 32 years old and he's playing video games all night long and he's blaming everybody else that he's not going anywhere in life. The guy can't even do laundry. The guy can't even do laundry. But nobody goes, and you know what? You might as well just marry him. That's the best you're gonna come up with. Yeah, that's just great. Go right ahead, you know? No, no, no. Listen, if there is a father in this room, a mother in this room, you're gonna go to your little girl and say, come on, you can do better. God's created you for more. Don't you dare just settle. Don't you j- dare just think that this is the best that God has for you. You are gonna, what? You're gonna, you're gonna encourage them and lift them to the next level. I mean, you got a kid who's getting, you know, C's and D's and E's and just struggling along in life. Nobody just goes, hey, hey, man, this is, this is great. This is what we've expected from you your whole life. This is awesome. You're going nowhere. Uh, I'm sure it'll work out great for you. Just, just go ahead and fail everything. You know, parents don't do that. What do we do? We, we look that kid in the eye and say, don't you dare settle for this. Don't you dare give up. You were made for more. You can do more. You can become more. God's put this in you. I expect great things for you and from you. But the truth is, is that as a pastor, one of the hard conversations that I run into all the time is when somebody says, you know what? I know exactly what God wants for me. I know exactly where I'm screwing up. I know exactly what he wants me to become and where he wants me to go and how he wants to shape me and use me and change me. But I'm just gonna stop right here. I'm just gonna pull short of that. I'm not really going to give my all to that. I'm just going to settle. And friends, that is a tragedy every single time. We've been in this little series called the Tupperware Gospel. And if you've been here, you know it's just really an old-fashioned, old-school style Bible study where we have been journeying through a New Testament book in the Bible called Colossians. And we've been getting around its major thought. You see, the, the writer, the man God used to write this was their pastor. His name was Paul. And he's, he's trying to explain how the Christian faith really works, how this whole God-man relationship really works. And, and so we've been getting around this idea that, uh, that when Christ is invited by you to come inside, to when, when you decide to trust him and to move forward with him and to, to invite his leadership and his lordship into your life, he, he literally comes up, this sounds crazy, but he literally comes and he takes up residence inside of you. No longer he, is he just with you, but he is what? He's in you. He's in you. And with him in you, it's no longer just about an external, clean it up, play a little religion type of deal. No, no, no. It's not about an external modification. It is about an internal transformation. With Christ in you, everything about the God-man relationship is just different. It's just different. It can become more than you ever dreamed possible. Anybody in the room want to say, yep, come on. I know exactly what you're talking about. 
because there's something that has become alive inside of you. And so if you were here last week, um, Paul, this writer, this pastor, he begins to warn them that there are some philosophies in this world. And he, he uses this word, he says, there's some nonsense. You remember this? Nonsense in this world that is gonna come at you and, and it's gonna try to take you away from your faith. That very thing that's made you come alive, that very thing that has changed the whole God-man relationship with you. There, there are these philosophies, there's this nonsense in this world that's gonna try to shape you in a different way and take you in a different course, that's gonna try to convince you that right is wrong and wrong is right and it's going to try to move you off of your faith and Paul begins to to warn us about some of these things and and he and he says don't you dare settle listen he says don't you dare settle for less than God's best in your life don't be swept away don't be uh, encouraged to become something different and so here's what we're going to do if it's okay with you we're going to try to get through the entire second chapter of the book of Colossians all this evening, okay, uh, or today, and uh, we're going to cover some ground, and if it's okay with you, if you've got a Bible or a smartphone, I would love for you to find Colossians at both campuses, really, just, I would love for you to follow along, sure, we're, we're going to put it up on the screens for you, if you get lost, it'll be up there, that's cool, but I, I think it is helpful for us to learn to find it on our own, to, to read it on our own, on your phone or in your Bible. So I would just encourage you to do this with me. Colossians chapter two. And as you look for that, let me give you a very big picture of what we're gonna go after today. Um, Paul begins to, to literally lay out uh, some of the deceptive philosophies that he sees in his church back then and that we're susceptible today. We began to talk about this last week. But Paul says some things never change. Some things go way back and they're here to deceive us and we better be ready for them. We, we need to be warned about them. And so he gives us this very big picture of what holds our faith together. And as I was studying for this whole series, uh, I came across this writer, his name is Gene Apple, and he wrote this little phrase that we're going to get around over and over tonight. He says, you want to know what the Christian faith is all about? You want to know what salvation is all about? I'm going to give you this formula. And uh, it's my kind of formula from his writings. And uh, you may want to take a picture of this. You may want to write this down because this is so critical to our understanding of what salvation, being made right with God, is all about. You ready for it? Yeah. Are you ready? People on video, are you ready? Because these people aren't ready here. Are you ready? This is so important. He says that salvation equals Jesus plus nothing. This is what Paul, the writer, begins to lay on us. That salvation, being made right with God, equals Jesus plus nothing. Nothing. You don't add to it. You don't uh, think that somehow you can work your way to God. You don't somehow think that you can convince God that you're good enough. Like, listen, there are some of us in this room that you were raised sort of like I was, that if you were just simply good enough, that somehow that you could manufacture enough good deeds, that somehow you would tip the, oh, you had bad. Oh, you got junk out there. But you had enough good that you would somehow tip the scales and you would slide right into heaven one day. And we, 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 we literally, literally rely on the fact that we're gonna be good enough to get into heaven or somehow we're gonna impress God. But I'm gonna tell you something, friends. This may be news to some of you all, but you cannot earn your way into heaven. You cannot impress God so that he lets you into heaven. It's not like he's looking down going, whoa, that was so good, so impressive. You got a get out of jail free card. Like you're in. If anybody's in, you're in. I mean, what are you gonna to do to impress God? Nothing, nothing. 
And the scripture says you can't impress God. And so we're gonna get around this idea that salvation equals Jesus plus nothing. And you have got to love that math. You really do. And so we're gonna get around this whole idea that it is Christ in you. That's your hope of glory. That's your hope of anything that is good in your life. It's not Jesus and what you can do. It's not Jesus and a certain song. It's not Jesus and a certain uh, action in your life. It is Jesus plus nothing makes you right with God. And, and I'm gonna tell you something. There needs to be a whole bunch of people in this room that go, whoo, that's good news. That's really good news. Y'all with me? This is good news. And so I want to begin by going backwards. We talked about uh, this idea that came out of Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And it says that when you come to faith, in order to grow, you must continue, it says. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Don't just settle. Don't just settle for religion. Don't just settle for getting a few things right. Don't just settle for moving forward in a few areas of your life. But he says, you follow Jesus. You run after Jesus. And Paul begins to give this very stern warning. And the truth is, friends, there are some of us in this room that we have tried to follow God for a long time. Now listen to me. We've tried to follow him. We've tried to grow with him. And there are times in our life that we're way up here and we're feeling good about our walk with God. And, and, and some of you in this room, you know this, that, that you walked in and you were dead and, and maybe you came to a church like this or you started hanging around the right kind of people and all of a sudden your soul starts to come alive and, and you're way up here and, and there have been seasons of your life that you're way up here. But then, if truth be told, just about every single one of us in this room, you've had seasons where it's really down here, where it becomes hollow where it becomes shallow, where, where it becomes just a drudgery and when you're trying to find God, you're trying to go, where are you, God? Where did you go? Because once you were so close, but now you're so far. And so what do we do, friends? What do we do to fix this? Those of us who've been trying to get this walk thing together for a while, here's what we do. We try to go find the right new song because if we find a new worship song that hooks our heart, we go, ooh, that'll lift us, ooh. Or we go, what book is everybody reading? Because what's hot off the presses right now? What can move me from where I am to where I need to go? Or, or we find the latest podcast or the latest preacher to follow, right? Or I know it, it happens in this church. People look at me and go, I'm just not growing here. And so we're gonna go look for another church, that will help us to grow. And we think it's Jesus plus the right song, Jesus plus the right preacher, Jesus plus the right church, Jesus plus the right book. And it's not that at all. Paul says it's Jesus plus nothing. Amen. That's what makes you right with God. If there is a shallowness of soul, if there is a brokenness of heart, he says, you want to know what you do? Don't get swept away by the philosophies of this world. You follow a big Jesus. You make a big deal out of Jesus in your life and you will run right into God. That's what you'll do. And so here's what we're gonna begin. Here's what we're gonna begin. We are going to uh, begin in the very last verse where we ended last week, verse eight. I would love for you to follow along. I'm gonna read uh, all the way to the end of the chapter. I'm gonna make a few comments on the front end and then on the back end is where we are going to land today. So I hope that you track with me. Starting in verse eight, it says this. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding, what's this word? 
nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. We talked about this last week. We started going through some of the philosophies and, and uh, I gotta tell you, there are some people who walked out very offended. I didn't mean to offend anybody. Didn't mean to hurt anybody. But there are some things in our lives that take us away from the heart of God. And so we begin to kind of work through some of those things a little bit, right? And, and then it says this, he turns the corner and he says, you want to know how to make sure this doesn't happen in your life? Listen to this. This is an old-fashioned Bible study. We're just going to walk through it. It says this, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God and human body. And we could just pause right there and camp there for a couple of weeks. Um, but we've talked about this. Paul has spent, uh, we've, we've spent the last seven weeks, uh, six, seven weeks in, in the first chapter and a half of this book because, because it says you make a big Jesus, that Jesus is everything, that he is preeminent, that he is, he is God made flesh. He is God who made his dwelling among us, that if you follow Jesus, it will complete you, it'll, it'll fill your soul, and he will be to you what you cannot be to yourself, that he will connect you to God. And so uh, he says, for in Christ lives the fullness of God. If you want to know who God is, you find out who Jesus is, right? And, and so it says this, verse 10, so you are, what is this word? Complete. So, so you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Verse 11, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting away uh, of all your sinful nature. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your mama. Uh, she will explain it to you. Uh, but you get the idea here, right? Is that when you come to Christ, and I don't know that you have, but if you come to Christ, you might come to him thinking you're good, you're fine, and it's just nice to have a little Jesus in your life. But when you start devoting yourself to him, he starts to cut away at your soul. He loves you, but he doesn't like everything that you're about. He loves you, he, he died for you, and he wants to make you better than you are. He wants to complete you. He wants to take you somewhere else. He looks at the things that separate you from God. He says, I'm gonna get rid of that. And so he starts to convict us and starts to change us and start to mold us. Anybody in this room wanna raise your hand and say, oh yeah. How about on the video? You're saying, oh yeah. Because he, he begins to do surgery on our soul. And for those of us who love him, it's painful sometimes. But it moves us to be closer to him. And that's what he wants from us and for us. So check this out, verse 12, it says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Thank you. Y'all hear that? While you're, while you're able to live, while you, what, what, what comes alive in you is because of the power of God that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in you. And that's big news, friends. To me, that's really good news. Y'all hearing me on this? So check this out. He says, you were, what's this word? You were dead. Verse 13, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature had yet not been cut away. Then God made you, what's this word? What's this word? Made you alive. Now say that again. Alive. Now say it like you're alive. Alive. He made you alive. 
There's part of your soul, and you know this, many of us in this room know this, that you're journeying through life and you're trying to come alive on the inside and you're doing all sorts of crazy stuff to fill your soul. You're trying this and you're trying that. You're running after this and you're running after that. And all the while, Jesus is saying, come here. Come here, right here. You want to be alive? It's in a relationship with me. Only I can make your dead soul come to life. And a whole bunch of us in this room, a whole bunch of us in this church, we know this to be true, that he made something dead inside us breathe again and live again. And then check this out, verse 14. I don't know if you're ready for this. He says, he canceled the record Oh, wait, wait, I need to back up. I missed a key line. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know if you're ready for this either. He says, for he forgave all of your sins. Come on. on. And you you may like go, well, you know, I wasn't that bad. Oh, no, 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 you were bad. You were so bad, you were distant from God. And he knows it. And yet he forgives you. He invites you back into right relationship. As a matter of fact, it says this, he canceled the record of the charges against us. And you realize that there are charges against you because God is perfect and you're not perfect and there's this giant gap between the two. And God who is perfect looks at you who is not perfect and goes, you're supposed to be this. I created you to be over here with me and you're not. And he knows it and he cancels that debt. He bridges that gap for us by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And we talked about this right in the Tupperware Gospel that that when Christ comes and lives in us, there's not this room for this sin nature in us. And so he begins to remove that. He's like trying to weasel in there. He's like saying, I want more space in your heart. I want more space in your life. And when we give God more space, the sin that occupies our spots in our, in our soul, it begins to get moved out. It just becomes a little less attractive to us. And it begins to change us, right? Now, this is where Paul turns the corner and he gets, he gets down to the grit. And he begins to kind of deal with some of the philosophies that had ruled this age and that I think that have just swept right into our world as well. Listen to this. Verse 16, I'm just gonna read the whole section to you. It says, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these, rulers are only sh- uh, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come and Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or worship of angels saying that they've had some sort of vision about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ who is the head of the body for he holds the whole body together with all of its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. Verse 20, you have died with Christ who, uh, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why? So, so why do you keep on f- uh, following the rules of this world such as don't handle, don't taste, and don't touch? 
Verse 22, such rules are mere human teachings about these things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require a strong devotion, a pious self-denial, a severe bodily discipline. In other words, there are certain things that you might do that seem like they're gonna bring you to God, that seem like they're gonna make you fit in your relationship with God. But here's the problem with some of these rules. Now listen, we're gonna unpack this. Now check this out. He says, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. God has always been concerned, not about our religion, not about the facade of our life. He is not faked out by what we say. He is concerned about our what? Our heart. Because where your heart goes, your life goes. And he's always been concerned about our soul, what's on the inside of us. He wants not an external modification. He wants an internal transformation. That's what he wants for us. And so let's just kind of pick this apart a little bit because I think some of this we're still dealing with today. And so verse 16, he says it like this. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or by what you drink. If you were to look at the Christian church, and if you were to keep up with what's going on, and if you were to travel way back even 2,000 years ago, uh, there has always seemed to be this group of people who want to hyper-spiritualize everything. And they, and they want to position themselves by what they do over you. And there's always been a group of people who literally say, you're not eating the right things. You're not drinking the right things. You're not talking in the right way. Um, you, you smoke cigarettes. You can't be a person of faith. You, you know, it, it's, it's this idea, it's Jesus plus a special diet. That's the way I'm saying it. It's Jesus plus a special diet. It's Jesus plus be careful what you eat. It's Jesus plus be careful what you drink. It's Jesus plus consider all the other external things in your life. It's like, oh, I know it's all about Jesus, but I'm on the Daniel diet. It's all about Jesus, but, but I'm better than you because I'm in the maker diet. Or I'm on the whole 30. And wholeness comes from God. And maybe you ought to eat like me. Maybe you would look like me if you ate like me. And Paul goes, whoa, 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 this has been going on way back from the beginning. And it's just creeping right into our little world. Now, let me tell you something, friends. There is wisdom in eating healthy. Amen? True. Yes. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, our bodies are the temple of the Spirit of God. You ought to take care of your body, and I ought to take care of my body. It houses the Spirit of God, and it is a sin. Look at me. It is a sin if we ignore it. It is a sin. It takes us from the heart of God. But sometimes there are these people who come along and they want to think that they are better than somebody else because of what they're doing versus what you're doing. And food is at the center of this. As a matter of fact, if we were to go back at the Church of Rome, one time was dealing with this issue. An issue had risen that there were those in the Church of Rome who ate meat and then there were those in the Church of Rome who did not eat meat. They were vegetarians. And they thought that they were more spiritual because they were living uh, a vegetarian-style lifestyle. And you see this even today. 
right? You do, you see this even today. And, and so they were like, again, it may be healthy and good for you to be a vegetarian. You can work all that out, that's fine. But I wanna show you what the scripture says about this. This is found in the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse two. Very interesting, it says, Paul writes, he says, for instance, one person believes it is all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience, one translation says with a weaker faith, with a weaker faith, will only eat vegetables. Now, let me, let me see here. Uh, show of hands, how many vegetarians in the room? Any, any veg vegetarians? There's a few. Okay, it's a growing number. I met a couple of vegetarians yesterday, kind of weirded me out. And I said, hey, listen, I love animals too. I, I love animals. I'm a big, if you know me, I am a big animal guy. I like them fried. I like them grilled. I like them baked. I mean, you, I, I just... Uh, my wife, she could pull off the vegetarian thing. Me, I am a carnivore and I am proud of it, okay? I'm just saying. So, but if we were to take this text and we were to just insert our names in it, it would read like this. Jeremy's faith allows him to eat everything, but you, whose faith is weak or faith is sensitive, you can only eat vegetables. So it makes me stronger than you. Just kidding, right? But what's it saying? It's saying this is nonsense. Because food does not make you a Christian. What you eat does not make you a Christian. What you eat does not make you right with God. Um, eating meat will not make you less holy and being a vegetarian will not make you more holy, right? Um, eating rice cakes is no more spiritual than eating chocolate cake. Glory to God. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Amen. And so Paul is saying... Uh, your, your diet is not the measuring stick of your soul. It is important. There's plenty of other scripture that says it is important. But it is not the measuring stick of your soul. And we shouldn't judge each other like that, right? So verse 16, here we go. Here's the next thing. So it's not Jesus plus a special diet. Verse 16 continues like this. It says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Listen, uh, Paul begins to write. He says, listen, if you think that the church thing on Christmas and Easter is going to save you, you got it wrong. It is not Jesus plus certain days or special days. It's just Jesus plus Nothing. That's what saves you. It's not Jesus plus special days. And there were these false teachers in Paul's day that were coming along to the church. And they were saying, we live in Rome. They were Gnostics and they live in Rome. And they say, Rome has got all of these celebrations to the gods and we should join in. So it should be Jesus plus the celebrations to the gods. And what do we say? No, it's Jesus plus nothing. And then these Judaizers, these other false teachers is what they were called. Uh, they came in and said, no, no, no. What you don't understand is that, that it is Jesus plus the Jewish celebrations and the Jewish festivities and the Jewish festivals and the Jewish um, holidays. And, and Paul's going, no, 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 no. It is Jesus plus nothing. Not Jesus plus special days. And there are those of us in this room that we get like this. We think, well, I made it to Easter. I made it to Christmas. And friends, that's crazy. Listen, if you're around the Christian faith long enough, you will know that there are a group of people, and this has been going on since the very beginning, that say that real Christians will worship on the Sabbath. You remember what he said there? He says, don't let people tell you that it's about the Sabbath. But they'll come and they'll say the Sabbath, which is the 
which is Saturday, right? Jewish people worship on Saturday. And they say, well, you Christians should worship on Saturday because that's the Sabbath and God tells you to keep the Sabbath. And then if you're around long enough, you'll meet other Christians who go, you're crazy because Sunday is the day Jesus rose from the dead. And the New Testament says it is the Lord's day. He possesses this day. It is a special day to gather on Sunday. And they'll have this fight about who's more holy, the Saturday worshipers or the Sunday worshipers. Lucky at our church, we got both. We're good, okay? Um, but Paul comes along and says, don't be convinced about some Jesus plus a special day. He says, every day is God's day. Every day is worth following Jesus. Every day is worth expressing your love to Jesus. Every day is worth worshiping. Every day. This is why as the pastor of this church, I will never, ever grow tired of begging you and pleading with you to become part of the body in your life, to, to really enter into the body. Because listen, friends, listen, 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 listen. Every day is God's day Amen. to build his church. Every day. And so God calls us to this. And we, friends, we've got to get this right. The issue here is to understand that it all belongs to God. All of it. One day doesn't make you any more holy than the next. You showing up for church doesn't make you holy. It's a heart matter. It's all God's. He goes on. He says it like this. Verse 18 turns the corner. This is fascinating and potentially very destructive in our lives. He says this, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or worship of angels. Remember that saying that they had this vision about these things. Their sinful minds have made them, what is the word? Proud. And there has always been something spiritually seductive about the spiritually spectacular, Right? I mean, we get around these people and you'll, you'll, you'll meet these people and, the, and he says, watch out for people who, who claim that they've had this special pipeline to God. Watch out for people who say, God told me, God told me. And guess what? God told me something about you. And Paul's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. It is not Jesus plus, listen, it's not Jesus plus a special encounter. It is Jesus plus nothing. He is the special encounter. Do you understand what he's saying here? Uh, he's saying, watch out for those who claim to have this special pathway to God, who try to hyper-spiritualize or supersize, spiritualize everything. Those who, who claim to want to sell you a prayer cloth, and they'll say, well, listen, listen, listen. I am so in tune with God that I prayed over these cloths, and I touched these cloths. Have you seen this? This stuff is crazy. And they'll go, and you, if you buy this cloth for me only for 100 bucks, you have a special anointing. Or they'll say, I got this holy water. I got this holy water that I've breathed over and I've prayed over. And if you use this, God will do something miraculous in your home. Or if you sow a seed of faith into my ministry, it will be returned to you 10 and 30 times over. As far as I know, the scripture says only one is anointed. Amen. And his name is Jesus. Amen. It's not the TV preacher. It's not the guy who's standing in front of you. It is Jesus and Paul says it is so easy to get sucked into somebody else who seems to have this spiritual leg up on you. And here's why. It's because when you look at certain people, you go, man, they seem to have something that I don't have. And you elevate them. And here's what we do. We de-emphasize ourselves. And we, and we go, they got something that I don't have. And, and I don't think I'll ever have it. Let me tell you something, friends. 
If you have trusted Christ with your life, we've been learning about this forever now. The Tupperware Gospel says that you have the Bible and you have the Holy Spirit in you. You need to figure out what your next step is. You don't need to look at somebody else and figure out what their next step is. Nobody can tell you your next step. But listen, listen, my job up here is to encourage you to to be open to this, maybe to lay some things out in front of you, but you have to wrestle it down with God. Paul says, don't you dare go look into somebody else thinking that they have a special pathway to God that you don't have. You got the same Holy Spirit. You got the same word of God. And it ought to transform your life. You ought to worry about what God wants you to do next, not what somebody else is telling you to do next. Amen. Amen. Y'all with me on this? And he says, these people who do this, they have lost connection with the head who is Jesus. They think that their church is about them. They think that their books are all about them and how good they are and how great they are. I'm sorry. It says that they don't even know Christ. They've lost connection with Jesus who is the head. Jesus is the anointed one. And so you got these people who are supersizing, super spiritual, hyperizing everything. And Jesus says, or Paul says, be, be warned. Be warned, they're gonna leverage it over you. They're gonna try to, try to use this spiritual crutch over you. Don't let them. Don't let them because it is Jesus plus nothing. You follow Jesus. You don't follow me. You don't follow a man. You follow Jesus. He says, it will go well for you. Now let's talk about angels a little bit because he mentions angels in here. And uh, I wish we could just unpack this for, for a while, but we don't have a lot of time. But this idea of angels and demons, it is very trendy in culture, right? And I just did a little quick research. I mean, the whole idea of angels, it is everywhere. There are angel books, there are angel catalogs, there are angel seminars, there are angel pens, angel newsletters, angel websites, angel sightings, uh, angel collectors club. I'm not exactly sure how you collect an angel, but they figured that out, apparently. Uh, there are angel, uh, uh, there are death angels out there. There are uh, Hell's Angels, which I thought was a little ironic, of course. And and, uh, there's Touched by an Angel. There's angels everywhere. And here's the truth. The Bible speaks of angels over 300 times. It speaks about the supernatural occurrence between God and man. In the middle, there are these supernatural beings called angels. The scripture is very clear about this. You know, the Easter story and the Christmas story that we all celebrate has angels right in the middle of all of that. Do you realize that? But here's what this passage leads us to understand about angels. That angels aren't the main character. Angels are a character in God's story to point to God. Angels are to point to Jesus. They're never to point to themselves. We don't worship angels. We don't get around people who seem to have this special connection with angels. These people who are mystics. These people who say, I can talk to the dead. It says, nonsense. All of it. Nonsense. It points to Jesus. He says, you want a supernatural encounter? You have it with Jesus. It is Jesus plus nothing. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Okay, here's what it says next. Now this is, gets a little bit up and crazy right here. He turns the corner and Paul um, says it's not, it's, it's, it's Jesus plus nothing kind of a faith. He says it's not Jesus. Now you want to write this one down. He says it's not Jesus plus behavior. It's not Jesus plus behavior. Here's what it says. Verse 21, it says, don't handle, don't taste, and don't touch. 
He's saying that's what people have to, are thinking like when it comes to their faith. He says like that's, that's what they're thinking is gonna make them saved. And then Paul says, no, 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 that's nonsense. Listen, such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. He says, in other words, these rules begin to fall apart in our life. They do, they simply do, right? These rules may seem wise because they require a strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Listen, friend, friends, listen, Paul was saying that, the, uh, that he was trying to address something that pops up in the Christian circles all the time. If you've been around church life for any length of time, you've heard this word before. It's called legalism. Anybody? Legalism. It's this idea that you can make enough rules in your life that will save you. You can do things just perfectly and it'll make you right with God. Um, you know, Christians are very famous for coming up to having this ability to come up with lists of do's and don'ts, aren't we? Yep. We're just good at it, right? And we begin to think that somehow if we obey enough do's and enough don'ts that we will be made right with God. But the problem is, is that I want you to obey, obey my do's and don'ts. That's legalism, right? Somebody once described legalism like this. Uh, a legalist is a person who is afraid that someone somewhere will somehow enjoy their faith. <laughs> Isn't that great? Let me read that again. That was so good, Jay. You need to read that again. Okay, I will. Someone defined a legalist as a person who is afraid that someone somewhere will somehow enjoy their faith. That, that's a legalist. And Paul says you should be allergic to legalism. Letting somebody else define it for you that if you simply, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a better believer than you because I memorized two chapters a week of the entire Bible. I'm a better believer than you because every time the church doors open, I'm there. I'm a better believer than you because, because I pray for the pastor every single day. I'm a better believer than you because I give more. I'm a better believer than you because I don't, I do, I don't, I do. And you should act like me. You should act like me. Um, when I was growing up, we were part of a church that didn't believe in dancing. Any old school Christians in the room? I mean, when that groove started going on, you just had to go... That's about as crazy as you get right there. That was the world I grew up in. So we didn't do dances. We did hay rides. We did hay rides. Let me tell you something. A lot can happen underneath that hay. That ain't too holy. I'm just saying. But we thought we were better than the dancers. That's ridiculous. We thought they were, we were better than the dancers. I was reading this, um, uh, or excuse me, I was watching this documentary recently. It was about the prohibition. Do you remember what the prohibition was? The prohibition was the era in America where we outlawed alcohol. It was, about, it was over a decade. It was from 1920 to 1933, and alcohol was simply outlawed in America. It, it's crazy. Alcohol was everywhere still. It was just illegal. And, and there's some of us in this very room who cannot imagine not being able to stop on the way home to grab a can of Budweiser, right? But it was illegal. And as I was watching this documentary, it was so cool. It's all black and white. And, and they have all these old pictures of these great marches trying to eliminate alcohol and trying to you know, make it illegal. It was a very big political deal in our country at the time. And it had all these marches, thousands of people all dressed up in the old 1920s, you know, 1919 type of outfits, all very you know, stodgy. And it had all these religious people. And I could not help but notice that thousands of them were carrying signs that said, do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. And they had pictures of alcohol with the little symbol to say no to alcohol. And I thought to myself, what in the world? You totally misinterpreted the whole entire passage. 
Because it's saying that these things will never change the heart. These things will never take the desire for it away. So why make rules about something that won't change the heart? Now listen, let me tell you something. There are plenty of reasons why Christians don't drink. And there are plenty of reasons why I don't drink. Plenty of reasons. But it's not from this passage. This passage is actually saying just the opposite. That you can't regulate the human heart. You can't legalize the human heart. It's got to be a devotion to God. So, this, inter- is, this is an interesting topic, you know, with alcohol. Surprisingly, it's still one of the most asked about topics when I meet with people. Like, can Christian drink? Can, can Christians drink? And so, uh, I want to attempt to a- answer this by showing you a film that we made about eight or nine years ago. Um, so, we're just going to call this a classic Metro Rewind. Check this out. So what does the Bible say about drinking? Well, I think the first thing we have to acknowledge is that, that it's a sin to get drunk. Anytime, anywhere, the Bible is very, very clear. It's a sin to get drunk. It says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is foolishness, craziness, out of controlness. It, it, it's, it leads to this world of sin. So, so the scripture is very clear. It says, don't get drunk ever. Because not only does it hurt you, but it leads to places. It leads to craziness. It leads to sin in our life. But we also have to acknowledge this about alcohol. Jesus turned water to wine. Um, Very clearly in scripture, it gives us permission to drink. Very clearly at times, it, it, it says that it's okay to drink. So at times you might be able to enjoy a beer with your pizza or you know maybe a glass of wine with a friend uh, as long as you're of legal age. Uh, I think that's very, very clear in the scriptures. So there's a bigger question. Is it wise? Is, is drinking good? Is it ever becoming of a Christian? Well, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, it says that everything is permissible for a believer, but not everything is beneficial. So the bigger question is, is alcohol ever beneficial to you? Well, from my perspective, here is what could have happened at the latest gathering of our Bible teachers and worship leaders around this place. No, and dude, Chris. this whole thing about dating your wife, okay? Look, that's going to cost us a fortune. Yeah, it's no, way too high. The curve yeah. is way too high, man. Oh. Man, I, I love hanging with you guys. i got to have you guys over more often. I'm going to go get something to drink real quick, all right, man? All right. I hope they got something good. All right, what do we got? Diet. I'm tired of diet. I've been on a diet forever. Diet, diet. Wait a second. Who would have brought this? I mean, what could it possibly hurt? Just one.
honey, honey, this is adult juice. You can't have this until you're older and more responsible like us. Yeah. Wait, okay, so listen, listen. A priest, a rabbi, and Tom Brokaw. Right? <laughs> hey, I love you. Hey, <laughs> we are never playing third day, Grandpa, the line. So when did it go wrong at this last gathering of Bible teachers and worship leaders here at Metro? Well, it could have been when somebody got arrested. It could have been when a fight broke out. It could have been when a parent sent a mixed message to their child. Or it could have been when somebody opened the first drink. So what about you? When does drinking go wrong for you? Well, it could be when you go home with somebody who's not your spouse. It could be when you lose the respect of your kids. It could be when you get somebody pregnant that you didn't expect to have your whole life tied to. It could be when you get a sexually transmitted disease. It could be when you wrap your car around the trunk of a tree. It could be when you lose your marriage because of this thing called alcohol. Obviously, everything is not beneficial to us. And so you need to ask the question, when is alcohol right for you? That was funny. Come on, that's classic, right? That's classic. Hey, uh, if you're interested in this particular topic, recently we uh, put up an article on our website under growth resources, and uh, it might serve you well to go uh, check out a more in-depth writing than we did in that video. Y'all good? But you got to admit that little line there about when you're older and wiser and more responsible like us. Oh, my goodness. Um, so this idea of legalism is dangerous, friends. This idea that we can decide somebody else's spiritual condition is very dangerous. I grew up in a culture that says if you use a different version of the Bible, if you worship different, if you use a different style of music, if you dress different than me, then, then you are wrong. And friends, it is a shame in my life now to say that I was a legalist for a lot of years pointing my finger at other people who tried to get it right with God, judging them on surface level things. The scripture says no. Every one of us needs to work it out. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Now let me tell you something. We talk about this all the time. It is important to have people who you respect people who are mentors in your life, people that you look toward and say, you know, I could learn a thing or two from them. That is a good thing. But it is up to you to figure out what God is calling you to. It is up to you 
to take your next steps in obedience to him to become more like him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Father in heaven, we just take a moment and uh, we humble ourselves before you. And God, uh, I pray that whatever was spoken of you tonight would settle deep in our hearts and whatever was not, would it be removed? God, we don't need to hear from a man, we need to hear from you. And so Spirit of God, speak into our lives. Penetrate our souls. God, help us to take these warnings in and help us to live out our faith the very, very best that we can. Help us to love you. Help us to follow you. Help us to desire more of you in our life. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Amen. 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 Y'all good? Hey, before we get out of here, uh, I want to remind you that we love to pray with people each and every week up to my left, to your right. You might have something big going on in your life. It might be something small, but you want to lift it before God and you want a friend to do that with you, somebody who, who believes like you and wants to uh, connect you with God. So we would love to pray with you up to my left, to your right. And if you would like to help us at our Riverview um, outreach that we're trying to do, get involved. We would love for this just to be a home run in the life of our church. And then don't forget about our family meeting tomorrow, 1.30 at our Riverview campus. God bless you guys.